Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast, where we discuss all things GRC. I think the big positive is that this is a starting point. This is um, a, a moment in time where everyone um, should be saying what has happened can no longer continue happening. And we're going to wipe it clean and we're going to adopt an agile approach. In this edition of the GRC Professional Podcast, we speak to GRCA Managing Director Naomi Brady a bit about some of the findings from the Royal Commission Final Report. Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast. My name is Kwame Slusher and I'm the editor of the GRC Professional on the GRC Professional magazine and with me I have our Managing Director Naomi Burley. Hi Naomi. Hi Kwame. So today we're going to talk a little bit about the Royal Commission final report. Um, obviously neither of us have read it in depth so this is sort of a superficial look really um, catching up some of the whispers and murmurs that we've been hearing through the media analysis and maybe from our members. Um, so I guess we could really just get started. Um, what are some of the things that you've been hearing about this final report? I guess the initial reaction to the report, both by commentators and by a couple of members that I've spoken to, was that they were expecting um, something a bit more. And a lot of the commentary has been around it being a soft report. However, I think you need to sit with the report for a little while. Um, certainly what I've managed to read so far and uh, what others um, at, at GRCI have read through. The, when you collate all of those comments around, it's the, the depth is in what's missing in the gaps, what's been handed over with an open-ended remit and recommendation, and what the emotional response to the interim report and the, um, and the hearings has been. So you need to take it as a holistic whole, and even the final report says you have to read it with the interim report in mind and the testimony. Um, so I actually think it's like one of those um, falls that you might have where you pick yourself up and you go, yeah, I'm all right, I'm all right, that wasn't so bad. And a couple of hours later, that's when you start to feel the pain. You think, hang on, this is a bit more serious than I thought it was. Yeah, and of course, it's not just institutions, I guess, who, well, not just the organisations, but also regulators who've all had to, I guess, have to adjust their mindset to some of the recommendations um, in the report. Um, I think... I have also, from my end, I've heard a bit of disappointment. Um, definitely the only thing that, speaking to a professor from Macquarie University, Elizabeth Sheedy, she said that was really positive, came out of the report, was the bear, and the bear being expanded to all APRA-regulated entities, and you know having that co-regulatory model between ASIC and APRA, um, and that impact on culture. But she also expressed, I guess, her concern in terms of APRA and their resources in the sense of looking at culture from the external side. Um, she doesn't believe that they're properly resourced or they may not have the resources needed to actually look into those organisations. Uh, so I guess that's what I've been hearing from my end. Um, are there any, I guess, positive things that we've heard um, from the report? Like anybody looked at the report and said, oh, that's actually something I've been saying in my organisation all along. I, I, think, I think the big positive is that this is a starting point. This is um, a, a moment in time where everyone um, should be saying what has happened can no longer continue happening. And we're going to wipe it clean and we're going to adopt 
an agile approach. So whilst I respect that opinion about Bear and about the way APA is resourced and, and I understand that all regulators are under-resourced, just like all organisations are, what we need to keep in mind is that this is the starting point Hain has deliberately left it very open-ended for other people to solve the problems and not being prescriptive because it's right now. And adaptation to how things are resourced, sorry, the remit of organisations and of regulators as well will need to radically change. We're at a really interesting point in time where there, it's an election year. So there's going to be appetite for uh, some kind of change and to use this, unfortunately for the organisations implicated, as political point scoring on all sides. Every single party, every single individual who's up for election will be using this. So there's a very great energy about this, despite what the actual words are on it. But it was, I believe, when you, when you sit back and digest it and look at the gaps in this and the open-endedness of the recommendations, I think there's actually infinite opportunities for um, for individuals to step forward and solve this problem within industry and to change structures and re-resource as necessary to achieve the objective. So it has been very principles-based. It has been uh, stepping back from prescription and the absolute line of the law, which was the problem in many of the testimony. It was all about can we do it, not should we do it. Mm. This is very much taking it back to basic principles of the honour of the law is to protect people, to protect organisations and to protect the market. And that's what we need to step back and recalibrate everything from. So I think it's been written from that perspective. And I think it is a mistake to assume that just because it didn't say these 10 people need to go to jail, this thing over here needs to change. That wasn't what he was asked to do. And the people in industry are not being treated like children. They're being treated like they are responsible adults who stuffed up and need to sort it out. Right. And, of course, you mentioned that sort of can we versus should we, and that was definitely one of the things that we sort of brought up when we were discussing the Prudential Report on CBA in the workshop. Absolutely. Um, it's, it features in the opening paragraphs of the interim report and it featured again in the final report that that was one of the abiding... Uh, conflicts of duty and conflicts of understanding where you should your behaviour should fall, and uh, everyone giving testimony started out completely believing they could justify their behaviour based on their duty to a particular um, a particular cause, whether it might be shareholders or dividends or their fiduciary duty or or whatever they thought it was. It was when the light was shone on it that it became apparent that they were a little bit confused. Um, about who they were actually providing that duty to and where the con where a conflict actually existed. And it may not seem like rocket science, but it can be when you're right in the depth of it. So this this report and the recommendations, it's pulling back from that microscopic view, which allows you to miss the rest of the implications and look really big picture. What I really liked about the report, I really liked about how the whole uh, commission was run was that they did stay high level. There was no dragging in the underlings, no dragging in, thankfully, the compliance professionals saying, why didn't your framework work? Why didn't you stop the people at the top making poor decisions? They went to the top and they said, why did you make this decision? Yeah. And that's where the focus should be. So this is the moment for compliance professionals to remind those at the top that they were there, but they didn't access their intel, they didn't access their data, they didn't ask appropriate questions, and they didn't listen to them. There is many a member who who 
well before the Royal Commission, have complained about how the multiple layers above them means that their report is watered down before it gets to the board. And it's not surprising that directors are then surprised Mm -hmm. when there is an issue arising or that has been buried at some point because three layers down, they were told, oh, you get a one-pager, that's it. And that's not appropriate if you are actually executing the full range of duties. Um, and, And I just think that the other thing that will come out of this is that perception is nine-tenths of the law um, will emerge as one of the rules of thumb that I think we should take for how rules and obligations should be interpreted. So if this looks like a bad thing to do, that can you, should you question, it's a bad thing to do. Make a really clear role. And I think the other thing that will come out of that is that regulators have learnt a lot as well through this process about how the people they serve want to see action take place and whether or not an enforceable undertaking is a great regulatory tool and we know they can be incredibly valuable they aren't visible and they aren't painful enough to the people who are making the poor choices so there's going to be a shift in that regulatory landscape as well and I would be suggesting to our members that that's the kind of coaching they should be giving to their directors you need to pay attention to some other business over here you need to expect a different line from the regulators than you've ever gotten in the last five years. And you need to expect uh, a lack of um, social support or political support for this to be softened down or watered down in any way, shape or form. Um, they're, they're, I think there's going to be more massive material changes than a first read would lead you to believe. Um, So, you know, there are lots of encouraging things. I think it really, really emphasised that the tone at the top needs to come from the top. Compliance doesn't need to enable that tone. It's your job, if you accept a role at that level, to have the right tone and to make the right choices. End of story. And that was one of the um, consistencies throughout the whole process and in the final report, I believe. Yeah, and and we'll definitely have the regulation in there to back it up as well. I know I keep saying the bear all the time, but... It's, Look, it's, it's a start, yeah, yeah. and it gives it scope to see what works and what doesn't work before embedding it across everywhere else. And I think we need to be cognizant of the fact that we know regulatory change is constant, so it is also a nonsense to say, oh, bear doesn't work. Yeah. Um, if it's not working now, then it will be changed. Yeah. And then if it doesn't work then, it will be changed again. And you have to work on the assumption that it is not going to be a finished product that you see um, in the next three weeks, six months, year. We are talking at a very long-term project. And industry needs to be really proactive about that so that they can say hand on heart, we have made these material changes, we've taken on board these lessons, and they need to be really upping their game unless they want to be told um, how they should behave to the nth degree. Yeah, definitely. And I guess this is all going to have um, implications for what risk and compliance professionals are going to be doing for, I don't know, the next six months, 12 months, Look, couple definitely. of years. And I think the next, if you if you were looking at something that you need to be looking at in the next three weeks and to be hitting, hitting the ground running, I would 
venture to say that the number one indicator that regulators will be looking at first is they would be expecting a massive increase in breach reporting. It was very apparent throughout the metrics um, cited in all of these, and it doesn't matter if you say, oh, that was five years ago, mm-hmm. or quote any kind of time, it hasn't radically improved. Um, there is a substantial number of issues that were discovered and were known that were never reported. So from tomorrow, regulators will be expecting an increase in that breach reporting. So if you don't have access to that data, if you are getting pushback about reporting that data to a regulator, if you are not being encouraged to go and ask questions and to knock on the door and have a friendly word about something, then something needs to shift right now in your organisation because that's the first thing if I were a regulator I'd be looking for. Um, The quiet areas will be where I'd be going knocking on doors. Definitely. Um, Any message you want to leave with our members? Um, Because obviously we have the conference coming up in October looking at the role of compliance and it just feels like, I know this is such a plug, but it feels like the perfect time to bring that up again because I guess this is an opportunity for the compliance professionals to say, look, here are these case studies. Here's this entire volume of case studies. Look, the, the theme for the conference didn't come about just because of the Royal Commission. This is a conversation we've been having for a number of years where once upon a time when... AS3806 was emphasising that you needed to have tone from the top and compliance professionals were then taking the responsibility on to teach directors what that meant and to build that tone. Now, enough time has passed for everyone to assume the public, regulators, politicians, Hain, to expect that we should have that tone at the top. So it's no longer, that's not your day-to-day job now is to teach directors how to have that tone. Your day-to-day job is to help them have an independent barometer for the choices and conduct choices they make on a day-to-day basis. So helping them illuminate the can they versus the should they. Um, So once upon a time, your legal advice to make sure that you were, you know, two millimetres the side of the right line um, was gospel. Now is the moment for compliance professionals to step up and go, we can give you a better measure where you are so far away from that line and you are so much on the right path that your customers cannot complain, that you have no reason to be concerned when a regulator knocks on the door and says, show us what you've got. Um, so it's, it's compliance's moment to demonstrate why their skill set and why their level of expertise is absolutely critical to organisations. And I would encourage all of our members to be making appointments with their CEOs and their directors and getting FaceTime and explaining to them what their role has been all this time and what they can help them do now moving forward and what they need to know day one. All right. Well, thank you very much, Naomi. Um, I think that's definitely gives given some of our listeners some food for thought and and as the weeks go by and more analysis comes out from the media and some of our members um actually read the report for themselves um i guess we can sort of regroup again and really get a more granular sense look we definitely we've got a team of grci members who are looking through it section by section and using their industry background to be able to provide comment from a compliance professional perspective for our members. So we'll be taking a fairly unique um, interpretation of that for our members. It, it will be very much around the, this is what you're going to need to do. These are the people you need to talk to in your organisation. These are the things we think are going to shift um, and and start those conversations at a very practical, as you say, granular level. All right. Well, thank you very much, Naomi. Thanks, Colin.
Thank you for listening to the GRC Professional Podcast. This podcast was produced by the GRC Institute and the original music was written by Rob Neary.